Welcome to the Chemo Files. I'm Debbie Gallant. Noah here. We have kind of a lot of ground to cover since the last time we checked in. Now, partly that's because we've been distracted from the podcast, and so it's been a while since we took the time to sit down to write and produce an episode. But then, the reason for our distraction is also a big part of the ground we have to cover. I'm sitting here in St. Barnabas Medical Center, where it's beginning to feel like our family has bought a timeshare. While Mom is occupied in the cancer center this afternoon for her second round of chemotherapy, my dad is on the same floor, but in the cardiothoracic ward, where he's been the last two days. Two parents in the hospital. As Debbie says, you'd think there'd been a car crash. Dad is actually okay right now. Well, technically... He's at risk for a massive heart attack, which sounds pretty bad. Except that the risk is probably not much greater than it's been for the last month, and perhaps even the last few years. He's getting open heart surgery in five days. A triple bypass. This is not something we saw coming, and it feels a bit like piling on, particularly because it's happening at the same time as some of the unfortunate things we did see coming. Like this morning when mom took a shower rivaling so, Psycho in its shower, traumatic potential. I've been thinking that my hair's been coming out little by little, but when I took the shower and washed my hair, because I felt like, I should wash my hair, I can't just keep it dirty, it came out in so much quantity that it started sticking to my body, and it started sticking to my, to the medical tape on top of my port, which like is like Velcro, and it, it was just, you know, I, I like, it was like the worst shower ever because I, I <laughs> it was the worst. You can't think of a worse <laughs> I can't think of a worse shower yeah. outside of Auschwitz, but I mean, it was <laughs> the worst shower ever because I couldn't get clean. The hair was sticking to my body. I couldn't get the hair, all the hairs off my body. And I finally said, I just have to come out of here. I just can't even, I can't even deal with this now. And then I took a picture of the... So, things are beginning to feel overwhelming. Right now, we're in chemo. This evening, Mom gets her hair buzzed. On Tuesday, it's bypass surgery. So, in a little over a week, and this is if all goes well, both parents will be home. Mom dealing with the increasing toxicity of her treatment, and Dad recovering from having his sternum split in two. And me, trying to get good audio from both of them. getting ahead of ourselves here. Let's go back a couple of weeks. When we last reported, life seemed so simple. The only thing on our plate was mom's breast cancer, and a decision about which of the doctor's poisons we should use to cure it. It's the day of Rosh Hashanah, and a week before Yom Kippur. And if you're not of the tribe, let me just explain. The Jewish New Year is not exactly a party. It's a time to atone, to take individual responsibility for the world's imperfection to apologize for the standard stuff, the sins of gossip and of lust, of inaction and of greed. And even though there's no one explicitly saying repent or fear the wrath of God, this is kind of implied in the liturgy. Be'erosh Hashanah Yichatevun 
Uvyom Tsom Kippur Yichatemun. On Rosh Hashanah it is inscribed, and on Yom Kippur it is sealed. How many shall pass away, and how many shall be born? Who shall live, and who shall die? So, if God didn't have our attention during last year's Days of Repentance, he certainly had it now. This was the day before my first chemo, and we were a little frantic about one of the drugs the oncologist had recommended, adriamycin, which not only makes you lose your hair, but comes with the possibility of heart failure. Noah spent half the night on the internet looking up studies on the drug, listening back to our conversation with Dr. Scapatulo, and feeling like the case had not been made, at least to us, that the benefit of adriamycin would outweigh the risk. We were so worried, I was even thinking of skipping services and trying to rush an appointment with the oncologist. I remember saying, in the Jewish religion, nothing, not even Rosh Hashanah, is more important than saving a life. But instead, we called our dear family friend, Noel, a doctor I've known for almost 20 years. He calmed us down and promised he'd come over that night to talk. We wanted all the numbers laid out, like baseball statistics. Noel explained that what we were chasing, we were never going to find. In vitro, you know, doing chemistries where we put things in and get it, great. You can reproduce it in any laboratory in the world. But right. when you're taking data from patients' experience of stuff, um, the numbers get harder and harder to interpret towards mm -hmm. the end. Are we lumping triple negatives in with everybody? Are well, we that's just fifty-seven-year-olds with Crohn's yeah. disease in with everybody. Yeah, and you and you have a hormone-negative tumor and you have a hormone-sensitive tumor. Mm -hmm. So how many are those compared? Mm -hmm. right. You know, and th this is where trying to get ten other patients that match you exactly becomes hard. <laughs> then he coached us on how to talk to doctors. It's kind of like a simultaneous translation. He sees it from both sides. He understands what we want, but he spends his whole day on the other side of the desk. And maybe, he pointed out, our relentless due diligence wasn't helping. I know doctors and how they react, and concise and clear and number as opposed to run on rambling. Mm -hmm. Not that you guys are rambling, but it, it gets more esoteric, and they lose patience. What I'm trying to do is preface you for the best result. You know, they, they have studies where the, the fighters do really well, and then the next best group is La Belle Indifference. We just go and tell me what to do. They don't want any details. They don't want anything explained. Mm -hmm. Just do stuff, and then they try very, very effectively to forget. Mm -hmm. And so who's that the, they the have worst it. group? The, the um, total resignation that oh. being led like a lamb to slaughter. And what I want is for you, when you get this, this is your life-giving elixir. Next morning, had the best view. first what? chemo infusion. Oh, I was just saying that Debbie's amazing. You're just a little bit closer like that, okay? Okay, especially where there's a lot of background. Mom's friend Sue accompanied us to the hospital. My mother is very popular and has a lot of wonderful friends, or since the diagnosis, friends turn cheerleaders. But. In my opinion, Sue is the captain of the squad. Do you know that she called me after the surgery, the same night? No. And she, she was, you know, she was saying, how are you? What did you do today? I mean, if I exerted myself to call you after something like that, I would just want you to know how much I was suffering. I wouldn't <laughs> ask how you were. No, no, and the weird thing about that night, too, was that 
not only did I, did I go on and on and on like the delirious person I was, but I told her all about your camping trip right after surgery. I'm sitting in my hospital bed telling she said, her and about... She said, and she said, this is the only... I mean, she was, she was herself. She really was herself. A little bit um, hoarse and a little bit slurred, but she said, you know, one thing Noah said to us was that we never taught him about the backyard. <laughs> and then she said, I mean the outdoors. And she went... So it was, I'll never forget that call. So, um, buoyant. I certainly don't think anyone else would have shown up in costume. But Sue, a retired art teacher, made a project out of it. I don't know, this idea came to me that I would make a chauffeur's outfit because I thought I would be taking you, you know, and I didn't know Noah would be home. And I thought that I would make myself just completely ridiculous so that, just to give you a laugh. But, um... You know, I did, it didn't, like, I wanted to have epaulets and ribbons, and, you know, it ended up just kind of, like, turning into an embroidery project. I wanted to have spangles, and so it didn't get that far. For our pre-infusion appointment with the oncologist, we did the unthinkable and decided not to stick a mic in the doctor's face. This was important. We were going to get our advice as patient and family and not as crack journalists. As Noel helped us understand, there was no exact number to make the case for Adriamycin. But there was confidence that it would help her odds. And Dr. Scapatulo even ventured a ballpark approximation. The addition of this drug would probably reduce the likelihood of recurrence by about 3 to 5%. There it was. We nodded. Finally, we had what Noel had urged us to seek. Faith in the regimen, comfort with our decision, and congruence with the doctor. Time for chemo. Let me just say right now, Chemo itself can be pretty fun in the right company. And the infusion rooms at St. Barnabas are pretty posh. It's a private room with a few chairs, a barca lounger for the patient, and a multimedia system that was quite over our heads. All right, so there's Noah trying <laughs> to put a CD in the player that's about seven feet above. It's on the shelf. Like they don't expect any short people to get cancer. Uh, all right. Um, <laughs> off on. Do you see that? No. I'm announcing <laughs> what we that need. That sounds promising. <laughs> God, we're helpless in the face of modern medicine. Our nurse was a young woman named Lovely, and she was. She spoke in a lilting voice, and while she didn't sugarcoat anything, she reassured us it would be all right. It might be more visible. Like you feel like literally, oh my God, what's happening to me? Like a truck all over me. And do I have to be particularly careful not to be around people who are sick? No. We no? don't want you to play a pity party. We mm -hmm. want you to kind of like, life goes on. And so it did. To our moderate surprise, the mood during this couple of hours in the infusion room was pretty light. Debbie insisted on bringing the ukuleles. And, by the way, if you're seeking an exercise and not caring about how foolish you look, try carrying a pair of ukuleles through the halls of a cancer center. We did what my mom has always had an uncanny ability to do. We made ourselves at home. Afterwards, of course, I waited for the legendary side effects. The guidance was rather vague. 
Maybe I'd feel something the second day, or the third day, or the fourth. They told me the second I felt the least bit queasy to take the anti-nausea drug they'd prescribed. And a few days later, I remembered I had medical marijuana, which worked even better. One puff, any queasiness or nausea was gone. And then there's this other part. The day after chemo, you go in for a shot of Nulastin. From what I understand, it helps restore your white blood cell count, so you're not vulnerable to every germ out there. This shot, believe it or not, costs $10,000. I hadn't even given a thought to the health insurance implications because what I'd heard is that it can cause severe bone pain. But the nurse giving me the injection told me to try Claritin. Claritin! Which apparently worked. No bone pain. My main symptom for the week was a loss of appetite. I turned into a sullen eight-year-old who looked at food suspiciously and wanted nothing more than egg in the island, eggs fried into a piece of white bread. By day five, I thought I was out of the woods, a little tired, but almost myself. But strangely, Warren was tired too. I'd noticed him a little tired over the past month, but I thought he was just depressed, you know, about me. And he was doing a lot to make me comfortable. But then it turned out he'd been feeling other symptoms too, which he hadn't shared with me, like chest pain and trouble with short bicycle rides. And this from a man who's ridden across Iowa 100 miles a day, three times. I had been feeling uh, some symptoms for a while, but I let it go. I didn't do anything about it. And then Debbie's diagnosis came in and uh, that pushed everything to the back of the queue. And then as we had gotten involved in this, um, I had a dentist appointment. I'm lying in the dentist chair. The dental hygienist feels a lump on the side of my neck, says, you notice this? I said, no. She said, well, you might want to get that looked at and um, if it doesn't go away. I said, what do you think it could be? She said, I don't know, you know, anything from a little swollen gland to lymphoma. And that sort of, that was the thing that made things tick over. I thought, okay, it's now time to stop ignoring the symptoms. The next day, I had an appointment with the doctor. He sent me to the cardiologist. That's how we got to where we are now. And that was when the bomb dropped. Warren came home ashen-faced from the cardiologist with news that he likely had a serious arterial blockage, and he was getting an angiogram the next week, and that aside from a dispensation for him to go into work that night to cover the Pope's arrival to New York, from his office. He was under strict orders to stop work and take it easy. So, already, serious. An angiogram is a test in which dye is injected through the groin via a long, mysterious passageway to the patient's coronary arteries so they can really see what's going on. Warren was told there were three possible outcomes. Maybe it wasn't so bad and they could just treat him with drugs. Most likely, they'd put in a stent to open the blockage. Worst case, they'd skip the stent, and they'd have to bring out the big guns. Bypass surgery. You know the verdict already. And suddenly, with my husband's life hanging by a thread, I didn't feel like the patient anymore. I felt like the last two months since I'd had the breast cancer diagnosis, 
I'd been a pampered princess, letting my husband wait on me hand and foot. My first reaction, I had to admit, was, oh my God, if he dies, who will take care of me? And then my second was, oh my God, he's my whole life. So it set up a whole new dynamic, a whole role reversal, in which I began to become the caretaker. Well, it appears the tables have turned. Yes, I suppose so. I get to uh, outdo your illness. Um, you seem to be uh, on the upswing, and I am um, moving uh, into uh, danger territory. So, it's going to be a lot more complex, um, a lot more invasive, and uh, um, and take a lot more time. And the upside is that when they're done and I recover from it, I will be in a lot better shape. Um, so my father asked. Yes. So how's his attitude? Is it as good as yours? Is my attitude as good as yours? Um. I'm positive about this, you know. I'm looking forward to the problem being taken care of. I have been kind of wrestling with symptoms for months now. And, um, you know, I was just now getting to the point where I started, was starting to think about having somebody look at me for these symptoms because I had pushed so much into the background because you had such an emergency. So, um, you know. I'm happy to actually have this being taken care of and not delay it anymore. Actually, even though right now it feels dangerous and scary, you've probably been in peril for years. Could be. <laughs> it could be. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Whatever. I mean, you know, we know, you know, the family history. Yeah. You know, my father, my uncle, my brother, and uh, probably my father's father. Hmm. Although, you know, we don't really know. But, yeah. So, yeah, um, it's, it's like, it's sort of like how we felt before, just before your surgery, where we were nervous about it, but we were starting to feel better. We were less depressed. Remember, we were depressed the week before, much less depressed the day before, because we felt like we were taking a step that was going to ultimately put this behind us. And, so we, and that's how I feel about this. So... My attitude has been less good. I mean, it was good when I talked to the, to the doctor and, and when I heard from the surgeon and, and, and like the prognosis is good and it's what I've been telling everybody and I really truly believe you're going to be okay. Mm -hmm. But I'm kind of feeling sorry for myself. Well, I don't know. You shouldn't. I mean, and the thing is, I don't know how this is going to be. I mean, you're a good patient. You're a really good patient. You stand up for yourself. You know what the system is like. You ask for things that you need. I'm a really crappy patient. I know, I'm I mean, trying to get you, you know, to be better. I'm trying yeah. to get you to be more like, oh, that's all right, I'll do it myself. This is the way you are at home and everything. And you're in a hospital. Yeah. They're charging the insurance company an awful lot of money. So if you need anything to make mm -hmm. you more comfortable, you should ask for it you know, from the nurses. But moreover, you've got all these people already offering, can I do anything, can I do anything, can I do anything? All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. You know, we'll you're, you're, you're I'm sure that, you know, once I get cut open, I'll be in much more position to say, oh, just do it, just do it. But, 
you know, I, right now I feel fine. Right. It's kind of. I don't like, feel fine, but I feel fine. <laughs> I know, but now I kind of feel like I'm, you know, like my my worries are minor. Your worries are not minor, sweetie. You know, you still get to play the C card. It's <laughs> it's still a very serious melody. It's still the emperor of melodies. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's and it's in you know. And how many times do I have to tell you about? All, no, all manner of things, it's not a competition. <laughs> really, seriously. I'll still take care of you. And I'll take care of you? That's good. I like that. So the other night, Warren told me the rabbi had called and asked if he wanted to be put on the Misha Baruch list. The Misha Baruch is a song they sing in temple, a prayer for healing. Before they sing it, they name people in the congregation who are struggling with an illness. The rabbi had asked me the same question two and a half months ago. At first I said no, I didn't want to be the object of pity. But eventually when I began to realize the enormity of what I was facing, I changed my mind and sent word, yes, put me on the list. And on Rosh Hashanah, when this Misha Baruch was sung, I felt deeply moved. All those people in my synagogue, in synagogues all over the world, wishing me a complete recovery. Almost like a communal, spiritual chemo. Yes, I said to Warren, let them put you on the list. Accept the love. This week, we'd like to shout out special thanks to our in-house composer, Evan Schwartzman, for orchestrating Nasia Number no. 2 by Eric Sati, and to his wife, my beautiful friend Sue Kasdan, who provided so much comic relief on my first trip to chemo. My son Noah took over more and more of the writing and editing, and special kudos to patient number two, Warren Levinson, who actually sewed the whole thing up from his hospital bed. And in lieu of flowers, a very special thanks to Warren's dental hygienist, Jackie, who finally got him to the doctor. Thanks for listening to The Chemo Files. I'll be back.